Welcome to the Tech UK podcast on diversifying telecoms. I'm Sophie James and I'm the Programme Manager for Communications Infrastructure and Services here at Tech UK. In this episode, we'll explore the key drivers for motivating and maintaining telecoms diversification in the UK, including the adoption of open and segregated networks. We have a great lineup of guests, including Attilio Zani from the Telecom Info Project, Peter Claydon from Picocom and freelance writer Helen Duncan. But for our first interview, I spoke with the Right Honourable Greg Clark, MP. I'm delighted to be joined by the Right Honourable Greg Clark, who is MP for Tunbridge Wells and Chair of the Science and Technology Committee. Um, recent report published in February 2021 on the 5G market diversification and wider lessons for critical and emerging technologies. The report followed an inquiry into the UK telecommunications infrastructure and the UK's domestic capability. So welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for your time. Um, just be great to get an, an overview from you of the inquiry and the report and a, a bit of context for our conversation. Well, the context of the inquiry was the uh, the decisions that were taken to exclude Huawei from the from the 5G network, uh, and that obviously has left us dependent on just two uh, major vendors. Uh, and so we wanted to to look back and to see uh, whether we should be concerned about this uh, dependence and what lessons should be learned. Um, and we concluded that we should be concerned. Um, one of the frustrating things is that it's, in many respects, it's difficult to, to do something about it now uh, because the, uh, the, this, the stage of rollout of 5G is, is clearly underway. But there is an important lesson there for, for future emerging technologies, which is to think ahead about questions of diversity uh, when it is possible to do something about it uh, and to avoid getting into what was a foreseeable uh, position uh, in this case, there were concerns about Huawei, and in any case, the, the small number of vendors that was there for some time. And so we need to avoid being in what is a uh, now a very difficult position. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, during the inquiry, I'm, I'm sure there were lots of top priorities you identified, but what really stood out for you as a top priority for government as it, as it looks to diversify the UK's telecom supply chain? Well, one of the big questions um, was whether you should delay the rollout of 5G to give time for new entrants to, to emerge and for new uh, possibilities uh, for diversity to, uh, to get time to, to, to get underway. Uh, but one of the conclusions that we made was that uh, we think it would be wrong to do that. Um, the, the importance of 5G rollout is really very great. Lots of other technologies and uh, and developments and innovations depend on that. We could be seriously held back as a country uh, if we did that. So, so we shouldn't hold back, um, but we should use every opportunity that we have to try to accelerate the development uh, of uh, alternatives and of new entrants, uh, whether that is through um, international uh, cooperation with uh, like-minded countries, uh, whether it's through uh, R&D or, or whether it is through uh, through regulatory policy in favouring uh, entry and uh, and making clear the, the benefits of that uh, to the UK. You mentioned um, regulation there and the report actually made some recommendations for the UK regulator Ofcom. Um, what, what do you see as chair of the inquiry and, and the committee? What do you see uh, Ofcom's role in diversifying telecoms? Well, I think it does have an important role and it should have had an important role. And we were, we were disappointed that looking back, Ofcom, if I can put it this way, didn't, didn't stop us getting into this uh, position. Uh, Ofcom has two principal duties. Um, one is to further the interests of citizens in relation to, con to communications matters, uh, and the other is to further the interests of consumers. Uh, and so our view is that it seems to have interpreted its role more as an economic regulator, um, furthering the interests of consumers. It certainly is that, and it does have to do that, but it does have these two principal duties, um, and it's not open to it to uh, to, to sideline or to ignore uh, its duty to further the interests of citizens in relation to communication matters. 
And it seems to us that becoming uh, over-dependent and potentially dangerously dependent uh, on just two suppliers was something that uh, has not uh, furthered the interests of citizens in relation to communication. Open RAN, do you think the government sees it as a bit of a quick fix? Well, we don't know whether the government sees it as a quick fix, but we don't think it is. Um, it's, uh, it clearly has uh, uh, possibilities, um, and, uh, and it's certainly right to be open to Open RAN, uh, as it were, and to encourage it. Um, but the evidence that we took uh, suggested that it wasn't uh, dependable as the solution to the, to the lack of diversity. Um, and indeed, there is a, a potential risk um, that Open RAN becomes colonized and potentially dominated by existing incumbents, um, and so may not be the, uh, the bright alternative um, that, uh, that many people hope for it. So, uh, so Open RAN, uh, certainly we, we want to be positive towards it, but it would be wrong to be to put all our eggs in that basket and, and then the government needs to pursue a broader strategy of diversification. Absolutely, thanks. I think, yeah, that, that touches upon, you know, the report's recommendations uh, on those long-term measures needed to kind of achieve interoperability and, as you say, opening up the networks um, and making sure that that's right for our networks, for security and, and ultimately for consumers and businesses. Yes, that's right. So um, we need to... Uh, we need to use regulatory policy to make it uh, clear that we're uh, we're open uh, to to new vendors. Um, we need to uh, to look to attract new suppliers into the UK market if it's possible. But given this is a global uh, industry, we think that needs to be done in conjunction with like-minded people. Uh, we think it's important to uh, to give uh, support for research and development. Um, but we, we note that the, the money that's allocated uh, in the strategy, the diversification strategy uh, to research and development is a tiny fraction uh, of what the incumbents themselves uh, are investing in research and development. Uh, so again, that's a good reason to, uh, to join forces uh, with other like-minded companies uh, and to really do this in a coordinated way. You mentioned the, the money that was put uh, was announced as part of the diversification strategy, and, and also within that there was a suggestion for the and the plan for the National Telecoms Lab. Um, as DCMS and government kind of builds the business case for that for that testing environment, what kind of key considerations might you want to draw their you know attention to? Well, I think one of the key things is uh, whether it is. Uh, is of the scale that's required um, for the transformation that's needed uh, and whether it needs to be a UK alone lab uh, or whether it's something that we should be doing in conjunction with partners. Uh, the second thing is that we need to, to make sure that it is uh, accessible, not just to uh, even uh, potential suppliers uh, that are already in the, uh, in the market, um, but actually that it's it, it's usable, it's accessible to uh, to very smaller businesses who may themselves be able to develop technologies that could be deployed, perhaps having been partnered with or even sold on to uh, to other uh, companies with uh, with more scale. But but those smaller companies are precisely those that are likely not to have access to the to the lab uh, space and the uh, and the expert people. Uh, that obviously bigger companies will have. Absolutely. And I think the report talks about as well that ensuring that the lab itself or whatever testing environment is put into place is, is kind of future-proofed in the sense that you want to make sure it doesn't become redundant because of the, you know, the pace of change and innovation that the telecoms market is seeing. Well, that's absolutely right. And we're conscious in, uh, in writing this report on, on 5G which you know, we talk about the rollout of 5G and, and, and what is in prospect, but actually for, for a lot of the population, it's already becoming a reality and will soon be ubiquitous. Uh, and it's one of, the, one of the laments, I suppose, that they, the report makes that we didn't act soon enough uh, and, and it may be too late, probably is too late to, to have the ideal uh, market structure and diversity. Therefore, one of the lessons uh, for that has to be not to not to fight the the last war but to prepare for the for the next and look 
forward as insofar as it's possible uh, to future technologies uh, and first of all make sure that that uh, lab facilities we, we set up uh, are usable uh, for future technologies but also to think now about the regulatory environment uh, and the questions of diversity that might pertain to them. Absolutely and the report is really clear on its you know recommendation and call to government to consider a kind of overarching strategy on you know addressing some of these geopolitical challenges perhaps some technological divergence and looking not just as you say at, at 5g but there are other industries as well that you, you foresee this being you know perhaps something to solve yes and that is the big um question and really concern for the uh, future uh, as to whether we might be entering a world in which we might have competing technologies even different sort of paradigms in which they operate um, and obviously China is going to be uh, for many reasons because of its uh, economic weight um, and the, the degree of innovation that is uh, is taking place there that's clearly going to be influential and it's um, and obviously it's uh, contacts uh, and investments around the world so if we if we have uh, security concerns as we clearly did with uh, with Huawei, uh, then we really do need to uh, to anticipate you know, what a world might be like in which we we do need to have uh, alternatives and we need to uh, to be, I think, much more proactive in developing them now. Absolutely. And I think as well that there's consideration of the full su supply chain, the full supply chain. So we're saying it's not just 5G telecoms, but, you know, there's there are other parts to it that perhaps need a kind of wider consideration. Well, that's right. And that, that both addresses the, the current situation and the future. One of the things that the committee found very strongly is that uh, in terms of removing Huawei from the 5G uh, network in the, in the UK, it's not as simple uh, as that. And security uh, threats can come from, uh, from components um, that may be uh, embedded in uh, in many parts of the telecommunication system. So it's not as clean uh, a policy move as simply to, to mandate the removal of a particular uh, vendor. And insofar as the, uh, the vendor, Huawei in this case, has security concerns uh, attached to it, then there will be others, possibly quite small uh, suppliers of componentry um, for whom similar concerns uh, might be raised. And so we do need to need to address that uh, very explicitly uh, and as you say uh, thinking into the future th there's every likelihood and possibly even greater likelihood that that it'll be even more uh, diverse the the potential questions both of resilience uh, and national security and we need to uh, we need to have a broad view of that rather than uh, just look where the spotlight happens to fall uh, at any particular moment Absolutely. I think there's a few more points I just want to, to, to come on to, if that's okay. Um, considering, you know, the coordination of perhaps kind of economic and commercial policy when it when it comes to diversifying telecoms and thinking about some of those emerging markets, as, as we've discussed, you know, the UK finds itself within this fantastic kind of global ecosystem um, in telecoms. And we obviously have many allies who we want to work closely with, but also perhaps some of those larger markets that may have an impact as well. Yes, that's right. And I think this is an area of opportunity uh, for us. Um, you know, we do have some of the, the best brains in the planet uh, in, in this industry and in research institutions uh, in this country. We know that there's going to be explosive development uh, of this. Uh, so as part of a, a big commitment to uh, to investment in research and development and, and science, uh, we do think that uh, that telecoms uh, is something that we should uh, we, we should champion. Uh, and also on the regulatory side, in thinking back, Britain was a real innovator uh, in telecoms innovation, um, going back to the predecessor of Ofcom, Oftel. This was a time when there really wasn't much. Practice or, or theory about the the best way to regulate uh, telecoms networks, networks uh, generally, 
most in most countries as in ours. They were part of the part of the postal uh, service. They were usually owned by the government, and so there was no no question of regulation. We really invented that practice, and I did so very successfully, and I think can, in many respects, claim responsibility for some of the uh, the benefits uh, that came from allowing competition, but recognizing it needed to be regulated competition given the uh, the dominance uh, of existing incumbents. So I think this is an area uh, where we should use our, not just our heritage, but our current expertise and try to work with other countries uh, to, uh, to find the best regulatory models uh, for what is going to be one of the most exciting uh, areas of commercial activity in the future. Yeah, yeah, I think, and on that kind of expertise, as you, as you mentioned, of Ofcom and our regulator, and perhaps, you know, looking at that, you, you call it out in the report as, you know, motivating and maintaining diversity. And I think it'd be, it'd be great to get your thoughts on some of those incentives or, or measures that could be put into place to, to, to help and support our operators who, you know, have done fantastic work in rolling out all of these networks. So that does need to, to have, I think, a, a partnership discussion um, between government, the independent uh, regulators, um, the new unit that's being set up um, on diversification uh, within DCMS, uh, and obviously the industry as to what is the best way to have a diverse future. Now, we recognize that there are conflicts of interest uh, there that in many ways establish relationships um, and comfortable ways of doing things are obviously always uh, preferred and actually the threat of, uh, of diversity and entry can be challenging to uh, some of the incumbent networks, not just the, the vendors. So, so this does require, I think, a deliberate regulatory push and it can't just be left to the, uh, to the companies already trading in the sector. Yeah, absolutely, thank you. Um, I think I just wanted, you know, one last look at perhaps the UK's position, as, as I mentioned, you know, it's maybe not right to, to say that it's for the UK to take a leading position rather than it takes a position within the ecosystem to work together and to collaborate. But I think one of the things that the report really, really specifically identifies is the role of standards and, and you know, Britain's place within these standard setting bodies. Um, do you have something to say on that? That'd be great. Yes, I, I think we shouldn't be shy about taking a leading position. We may not be the biggest uh, country in the world. We may not be the biggest telecoms uh, market, but we do have a uh, have a reputation for innovation uh, and an excellence uh, in in regulation, in industry standards. Uh, and also, I think part of the, the demeanor of the UK has been to be an active and enthusiastic participant, a leader uh, of global fora. So that's what we should do. Um, I think standards are going to be a particularly interesting uh, area, uh, especially if we are seeing the potential development of alternative uh, standards that may not be global uh, standards that may be promoted uh, by certain parts uh, of the world. Uh, and so to inject energy into, uh, into the setting and the development uh, of global standards by like-minded countries, but recognizing the leadership role that the UK has historically placed, played there, uh, I think that would be good and important to do. Well, thank you so much, Sophie. Thanks for inviting me and thanks for uh, such good questions. Thank you. See you soon. Thank you to Greg Clark for joining the Tech UK podcast and offering his insight on the topic of diversifying telecoms. Next up, we have our roundtable discussion on accelerating open interface solutions and deployment in the UK's networks and how we can further foster a cohesive ecosystem in telecoms. Delighted to be joined by Attilio Zani, who is Executive Director at Telecom InfraProject, a global community of companies and organisations that are driving infrastructure solutions to advance global connectivity. We also have Peter Claydon, who is President of PicoCom, a 5G open round baseband semiconductor and software specialist. And finally, Helen Duncan from MWE Media, freelance technology writer and content marketing specialist who writes about the radio frequency and wireless industries. So welcome to you all and thank you so much for joining our discussion today.
We're going to be exploring the topic of diversifying telecoms, covering an area of activity identified in the 5G supply chain diversification strategy to accelerate open interface solutions and deployment so that the UK's mobile networks are not reliant on any single vendor. We'll cover quite a lot of topics today in our discussion, but I did just want to kick off, uh, perhaps Helen, I could come to you first. What is the challenge that the diversification strategy is trying to solve? What, what's the background to the strategy and, and, and the new task force specifically? The government would like to reduce uh, the dependence on three main suppliers of telecoms infrastructure. Um, that's Ericsson, Nokia and Huawei. And of course, they also have the intention to remove Huawei equipment from the network by 2027 or before. Um, this, this gives us very little choice of suppliers of infrastructure and in a much worse position than we were maybe 20 years ago. With the opportunity of uh, disaggregation opening up the RAM, there is an opportunity for new suppliers to come into the market to provide some of those components, especially at the radio frequency end of the, of the network. The diversification strategy has the intention of making sure that the UK is never again dependent on a handful of telecom vendors. Thanks, Helen. That's that's really helpful. You mentioned disaggregation there. Um, I think perhaps we could turn to actually what, what is meant when we say open and disaggregated networks, particularly Open RAN has been, been discussed a lot recently, um, and also perhaps the potential and the advantages. Attilio, are you able to just give us an overview? Absolutely. Um, I like the way that Helen talks about um, uh, open networking as an opportunity for for a vendor community and i believe that's true of uh, of the operator community as well um disaggregation and the way that we think about it at the telecom info project is very much in that opportunistic approach we noticed this a number of years ago within our community that there was a a, a growing lack of diversification in terms of a choice for operators um, to buy best in class capabilities and solutions um, innovation was still taking place, and, and I must say that um, the approach that's been taken so far in the industry has brought us a, an extremely long way towards 5G and services, uh, and, and must be applauded, the fact that we can have these conversations uh, like this and be in touch with our loved ones all over the world, and for business to do, businesses to continue through the COVID crisis is, is an accolade to the fact that we've done some things right in the telecoms industry over the last 20 years but disaggregation is an opportunity to um, refresh the ecosystem of vendors both hardware and software and create better choices um, more frequent choices greater flexibility both commercially and technically and for the operator community not just in the uk but globally as well so the way that we look at um, diversification is diversification in order to improve the granularity of interoperability between devices and the disaggregation of hardware and software. So I, I, I think we're looking to a future world where, and we're talking about Open RAN specifically here today, but it's, it's across the entire network. I think the, the eventuality is that um, devices from competing vendors can coexist in the same network environment um, operated by operator, but, but retaining the benefits of broad global ecosystems of interoperability. But, but that granular e ecosystem of interoperability is absolutely key to opening up the opportunities for better services, greater cycles of innovation and deployability of network solutions in the future. So yes, it's absolutely right to think of this as an opportunity for the ecosystem. Large players, small players, new players, uh, what might have been called incumbent vendors as well, all have an opportunity to play in this world whilst we improve the network through 5G, through 6G. It's not about a generational jump and a one-time change. This is about uh, a systemic change making the, the ecosystem fit for purpose continuously. Thank you, Atelier. That was um, a really fantastic answer. Um, you, yeah, you mentioned there that the kind of the software and the hardware. Um, it might perhaps just be helpful to kind of give an understanding of 
how kind of current networks are, are, are built and deployed and then to expand on how you know we can encourage new vendors and suppliers coming in to an, an opening up the 5g ran absolutely it's that opportunity to to have more flexibility in the release cycles and in the, the availability of solutions both hardware and software that coexist with each other in a network that 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 means that the vendor community can believe that they can get their best in class new innovations from a small to medium sized enterprise into a network the way that it's worked historically and has brought us this far is uh, increasingly to have turnkey solutions of closely coupled hardware and software um, that is inextricably linked and and what this gives rise to is a, a contract and a maintenance contract that lasts quite a long time um, that excludes the possibility of a small player mid-term to get involved in that contract unless they have a relationship with with one of the bigger vendors so in in opening up that ecosystem um, and, and the way that we talk about it is improving the flexibility both commercially for operators but also uh, technically for for suppliers it, it is going to stimulate a, a wonderful wave and we're seeing it already with with the technologies coming through from companies within our ecosystem and for that matter outside of our ecosystem who are driving new innovation and and in this open ran open networking environment believing and actually experiencing um direct involvement in tests and trials that uh, from, from our part tip is facilitating thanks Tilio. that's that's fantastic I'll perhaps go to peter next as a as a kind of leading in that ecosystem just to expand a little bit on on on, on your work at picocom and specifically the the products and solutions that you're specializing in at the moment well um picocom's a, a semiconductor company uh, fundamentally um and all technology or every, everything in a network ultimately depends on semiconductor devices at the bottom um so you know the the, the chips are there probably all contain billions of transistors Lots of processor cores. People write software that um, that runs on top of those, and you know, there are other bits, of, uh, things in there as well. There's network cables, there's um, cabinets, there's uh, fans, a whole lot of everything. But the the, th the most fundamental thing are the semiconductor devices, um, and you know we're seeing that there's uh, there's in some ways you can run a lot of um, uh, open RAN software, or it can be implemented in software and run on standard uh, standard sort of processor architectures. And, and in fact, it's this ability that uh, to be able to do this, if you compare to where we were 10 or 20 years ago, that has actually enabled open RAN. Um, but fundamentally, when you as you get nearer to the antenna, um, there's stuff there that you can't run on um, standard devices. And because you know we've advanced from 4G, advanced 4G, 5G, it's always, it's always going to be the case there. I wondered, security is obviously a key part of, of how we build our networks. We want them to be secure and resilient. And obviously Open RAN, it doesn't solve all of those solutions. I wondered if there are any particular considerations when deploying kind of disaggregated networks and, and what the challenges are in, in ensuring security and, and resilience. Peter, could I come to you quickly on that one? Yes, I mean, there are two points of view. I mean, if you um, you know, Ericsson, for example, one of our incumbent networks go on, uh, have gone on record to say that, um, you know, if you buy a complete network from them, it's got very few points which you go in and out of it. So it's inherently more secure as it's got, uh, you know, fewer interfaces. Um, there's, a, there's a counterpoint to that to actually say that, um, you know, if you keep things secret, um, uh, they don't get tested by the wider community and they're more likely to be, uh, to be vulnerable. Um, and indeed, we're looking at the open round community and um, the open round community takes security very, very seriously. Um, look at the work done in, um, you know, uh, we, we, pay, uh, we pay a big part in the small cell forum and the OVAN Alliance in, in specifications, which include security specifications. And um, you know, we're building that into our, um, right into our semiconductor products. And I think this, this open approach to security using, you know, um, industry accepted uh, methods of providing security is, uh, is going to be very effective. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. And, and as one of those uh, key communities of, of organisations, um, specifically with it, with the security, with the security angle, um, Attilio, did you want to just follow up on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the security of networks is paramount, right? It, it's absolutely essential 
to the trust of all users, whether they're consumers, enterprises, or um, or, or things, right? As, as we go to connected vehicles, that will, of course, need to be taken into consideration as well, that we're facilitating um, critical services that uh, actually need to be uh, very secure. And, and, and Peter said it exactly right. The, the, the trusted domain has some benefits to it, but the IT industry has has evolved beyond that and improved on that model over time. And, and I think that's the trajectory that the telecoms industry is going to go on as well. So the way that we think about it, again, and P Peter, Peter mentioned the ARN Alliance who do an, an incredible job of creating standards for this space, uh, specifically OpenRAN, um, but other standards bodies as well, obviously recognize the necessity for security to be written into the specs and standards at the outset. And what I think we're, we're, we're experiencing is a paradigm shift in security um, that will improve security and make it end to end to multiple end. So we we see this as an inherent part of every project group that we do. So for instance, OpenRAN is one project group with a number of subgroups that cover indoor, outdoor, small cell, and so on. But we also have uh, disaggregated cell site gateways and open optical packet transport. And you've got to look at security as a holistic um, uh, mechanism uh, and, and treat um, uh, packet security very, very carefully in an end-to-end. -end. And when I say multiple to, to multiple end, I mean it needs to security needs to reach through an entire network slice that might be between you know operator X in country one and operator Y in country two, uh, and so on. Um, and, and therefore, there needs to be a mechanism for testing and validating not only the products and solutions that are in marketplace, but also testing and validating the specifications and giving clear feedback loops to what is absolutely necessary in the open networking environment. So uh, uh, one other angle on security, I think that there's, there's a, a sense that building in the open rather than in the secret um, is is essential, and we and we uh, wholeheartedly facilitate the approach of building in the open collectively, collectively creating standards, collectively specifying what's needed by operators, collectively building, collectively testing, and then you know eventually singularly uh, deploying a network operated by operator, which which you know will benefit from that collective approach. So no, nothing is. Is, is unseen, right? And that, that willingness to share is growing significantly, not only among the vendor community, but also the operator community. Fantastic. Thanks, Tilio. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, obviously when you say open, often that goes hand in hand with the collaboration and the sharing of, of knowledge yeah. across across the ecosystem, which is, which is fantastic. Um, I think you know, on the testing side, we're looking to interoperability, I think, is a key key part of, of what we're talking about with diversifying telecoms. Um, I don't know if, Peter, did you want to come in on what interoperability means for you at PicoCom and, and any work you're doing in that area? Well, yes. I mean, I think for, it's fundamental to us because we're selling products and we want to sell them widely. And any, anyone, whether it's hardware or software, you want to uh, you want to sell things widely. So if if it has standard interfaces, it's easy for people to use. So from a purely selfish commercial point of view for us, mm -hmm. uh, testing is 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 really important. And and it's also really important for for open RAN and disaggregated RAN because the the whole point is that you're splitting your your RAN into into bits um, and you have to be able to plug them together. I mean, we see examples of, you know, some people say they've got open RAN deployments in the moment, but they, they've done a lot of, you know, testing of vendor A with vendor B to make sure they uh, they work together. You know, they've nominally a uh, an open RAN interface in between them. Um, so what we, we need is we actually need to be able to, uh, a vendor needs to be able to uh, go to a lab or in their own lab, they need to be able to uh, test their, their equipment, their solution. Uh, against a test specification, and if it complies, they'd be to you know, get a, a badge to say uh, yes, it, this 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 conforms uh, to the test specification. And I think 
Um, the exciting thing about open runs, we're actually moving to a position where where that's possible. Um, you know, thanks to you know um, organisations like ON Alliance and TIP, um, you know we're 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 uh, getting there, and we're getting labs that are you know. Um, one of the things there is uh, to do just plug fests, tech, you know, equipment, and over time, test equipment vendors will develop their test solutions. They'll become standardized um, and um, we'll be able to get, facilitate this. And, and I think, um, you know, we'll see it happen. I think actually in small cells, um, it's a, um, and partly in that case, it's a simple problem. I mean, small cells in 5G, you know, no more than eight antennas, really. Um, and then uh, we define a small cell as not having massive MIMOs. So you're, you're kind of within the RAN, you've got less things to care about. So I think we can get in the small cell world, we can get to interoperability um, and test solutions um, uh, very quickly. And we're, you know, we're obviously supported by um, uh, like Sonic, the, um, I forgot all the, <laughs> Smart RAN Open Network uh, Interoperability Centre, which has been put together by Ofcom and uh, the Digital Catapult, and and in fact in uh, in um, in, you know, in in ourselves, Peacecom and Bristol, we're we're currently um, building a lab um, for testing. You know, obviously our own own equipment, but we'll be working there with um, with other partners as well to to test in that. Oh, that that's brilliant news. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I think as you say that those locations of, of testing facilities um i know tip you have your ecosystem acceleration centers um i know there's one in the one in the uk uh didn't know Tilio, if you wanted to share a bit more on that they sound fantastic yeah the the the, the teaks are wonderful places to create innovation um and to respond to the demand of operators um around the world and we're coordinating uh, what what innovation is being picked up where? So we, SKT, Deutsche Telekom, British Telekom are taking a lead on some of these telecom e, telecom info project ecosystem accelerator centres. Um, but in terms of of the testing and validating, I, I think Peter's right on the money. We 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 will see a lot of work being done over the next two to five to ten years of ensuring that the, the solutions that are created in a more diverse, from a more diverse array of companies and from a more diverse array of countries who are looking to participate in this new wave of the telecom infrastructure ecosystem, um, we're going to need to make sure that there's some level of uniformity post standards. So when the standards come out of the ORAN Alliance, what do we then do with them? We need to make sure that they are tested and validated so that there's confidence that these products not only fit the criteria of the specs, but also meet the requirements, whether it's security or efficiency or new capabilities from a business perspective, as well from the operator community, but also from the enterprise community as well, increasingly. And therefore, uh, testing and validating these solutions and badging, uh, accrediting in some way, these these solutions are exactly what the telecom info project is about the business of doing so um in in each of our plug fests and our activities and our lab trials and our field trials we will give the those those uh those results a, a specific badge which will give a greater and greater level of confidence to the buying community that these are solutions are meeting the requirements that they've given us so um we have we have something called the exchange and we have a growing number of products and solutions on the exchange and i think one more thing to mention about this before i hand back to you sophie is is the fact that um it's not just about individual products we can talk about the ran and it's a very important component within the network um but increasingly what we're hearing from our operator members in the broader community is the necessity to test and validate integrations of end-to-end -end solutions. And that might be a PicoCell uh, utilized in a very specific network topography or environment. Um, it might be indoor, it might be outdoor, it might be macro, dense urban overlay of millimeter wave, or it might be uh, in integration of Wi-Fi as a component of a solution that is deploying um, deployed to, to enterprises. So, so there's a lot of work to be done in this space. And what we're doing at the Telecom Info Project is making sure that there's both a global, a regional and a local coordination of what gets tested where. Because I'm sure that Peter would agree that um, test once, 
sell many times sounds extremely attractive <laughs> and that's what we'd like to facilitate for the entire industry looking to the kind of the, the testing environments and as you say the role of perhaps you know network integrators system integrators i think that that points very much to um and this is part of a kind of long-term conversation for the whole of the tech industry and telecom specifically but you know do we have the skills uh, in, in our workforce to deliver these future networks um perhaps this, this skips back right to that first question helen on how did we get to the creation of diversification strategy and, and, and what's needed to push for the UK to be a leader? I didn't know if you wanted to come in on, on perhaps that skills gap um, and, and where we can yeah. go from here. Yes, I'd actually like to roll back to, to where we started 30 odd years ago, um, because the UK did in fact used to be a leader in this. In the 1990s, we had three base station manufacturing sites in the UK, which have all closed down since and we indeed we had the very first base station manufacturing in the form of Orbital which was uh, in Nottinghamshire uh, that was taken over by Ericsson and, and subsequently closed down we also had uh, Motorola and uh, Lucent Technologies and um, and they both closed for different reasons so we do actually have um, some older people with, with background skills in this area we also have a, um, a very good uh, test industry in this country. Um, we've got uh, BRV um, in, in Stevenage, used to be Aeroflex. Um, they've been actively involved in uh, developing the 5G standard. Now, um, in terms of being able to make test equipment, you do actually have to be able to make the equipment itself as well, because by definition, um, you use a test mobile to test the network and you use a, a test base station or, or call box, as, uh, as they're often called, um, yeah. to test the mobile. Um, so we do have a massive amount of good basic skills in this country. Um, we're, uh, there's there's um, as well as we are, there's Sparrant as well. So, um, so we do have two indigenous test manufacturers. Um, we have a lot of semiconductor design capability too, especially at the millimeter wave end. Um, companies like PRFI, Viper RF, and Filtronic are all highly skilled in, in millimeter wave semiconductor design with compound semiconductors. So I think we've got a lot of the building blocks there. Um, it's just a case of putting it all together. Absolutely. Thank you, Helen. That was um, that was a great overview um, and really helpful. Yeah, I think just to reiterate that the UK does have some really leading positions in certain things like software design, um, silicon design services too, um, which is fantastic. I think looking to the, the UK market specifically, you know, we want to make sure that um, our future networks are secure and resilient, um, but ultimately moving to these these newer open systems, there comes with a range of complexity. Um, there's a cost benefit, but of course there there must be something for the to incentivise the MNOs. What would you suggest, Attilio? Oh gosh, there's so much. Um, just just going back to um, Helen's comments about about skills. I, it, there's opportunities all over the place, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think from thinking differently at a, at a high level, both in procurement and in um, in the engineering departments and the testing facilities and R&D that operators have, I, I think there is a part for operators to play. So that's some of the opportunity in, in, in changing their own organizations and, and upskilling and creating opportunities for themselves. Um, certainly, you mentioned systems integrators, and they are absolutely uh, essential for our industry, um, and uh, and and can be relied upon to fill in the skills where necessary. And we've got a long history in in enabling uh, um, uh, uh, telcos around the world from 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 a UK perspective as well. Um, and I think the vendor community are really leading the way. So so I, I think um, companies like Picacom. Uh, have extraordinary capabilities in all of the areas that Helen mentioned as well. In terms of opportunities for for telcos specifically, look, I, I think 
you know, in, in the US, they, they've coined a phrase, rip and replace um, the network. And this means that there's a big heavy lift of an extraordinary amount of equipment that needs to, to come out of, of certain networks um, uh, to, to achieve that. In the future, the flexibility that, that open networking offers to telcos, just from a very simple and practical perspective, means that because uh, solutions from different vendors can coexist in the same network environment, then you don't have to rip and replace. You can uh, slowly but surely evolve your network in a much more flexible way. So I think the OPEX and the, the, the CAPEX um, perspective of how networks are run in the future will, will change. And, and I think that's going to filter through um, to, to many opportunities for innovation um, for operators as well. Uh, as well. Um, and I think there's also opportunities at a country level. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I, I'm sure we're going to, to speak about that next, but we have um, experienced as a global organization of seeing how other countries are looking at the opportunities, not only for the telcos, but for the use of their spectrum and the, um, the enablement of adjacent industries in a digital economy. Fantastic. Thanks, Attilio. Peter, did you want to come in on that one? Um, I mean, uh, yes, I just just briefly, I think, you know, we do have in the UK, we have quite a few skills. They tend to be they tend to be bits of the solution. Um, and I think that, you know, where things have moved on from, you know, the 80s and 90s. And, and thank you for Helen for, for pointing out that, um, you know, there are lots of older people around. Um, you know, <laughs> I started out in this industry. Well, I can remember I. I moved to a new company in 1990 and you know, the CEO was 35 and I was in my late 20s and I was quite old. Um, now it's actually, um, well, yeah, 30 years later. Um, so <laughs> that's how old I am. But I'm working with lots of the same people. Um, um, so and doing the same sort of thing. So it's, um, you know, we are getting older. But the good news is we're bringing along, you know, younger talent as well. And I think that's something we can do. And this takes, you can't do this overnight. It takes, you know, uh, decade of investment really to kind of get people from the level of graduates even never mind enthusing primary school children but the level of graduates up to you know people who can who can run companies and and but I think we're we're seeing that but you know it, importantly though it is as Tilly was saying it's a cooperation between uh between countries I and mean, we we must remain you know, there's, I think there's this tendency for the countries to become inward looking now where we're becoming more isolationist and in this industry we've got to look We've got to continue to look outwards and cooperate um, throughout the world. Yeah, and and I'd I'd love to add to that because um, this 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 global nature of coordination gives the vendor community an opportunity to sell the same thing that they sold in the UK to a UK operator, to a French, to a Chilean, to an Indonesian operator, and all the enterprises that sit in those countries around the world who are looking to digitally transform themselves and digital transformation is wonderful but connectivity unification is absolutely essential to that journey on a global basis and, and therefore it's a humongous opportunity so um we're, we're seeing countries like indonesia mm -hmm. state that they would like to become a southeast asian powerhouse not only in telecommunications um usage uh, and digital capability but also in in the supply of solutions and they will have the opportunity to do that in this renewed ecosystem of disaggregated solutions. Germany is investing huge amounts of cash um, and very strategic manners uh, into supporting their industry to advance on this journey and encouraging others in Europe to go along and, and it's rather famously stated that the US Innovation Fund and the multilateral fund have significant amounts of money associated with them for the purpose of enabling not only the telcos to, to change the way that they deploy networks, but also the supporting companies around their ecosystem in the US to go on that journey with them. So I can see, I can see countries around the world taking slightly different strategies, but essentially um, uh, supporting their industry in similar ways. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to the outcomes of the um, diversification task force 
uh, and looking how we can support the UK in, in participating in that, that global ecosystem in, in, in multiple ways. I think it was the 5G market diversification report from the Science Technology Committee that really identified the, the way that the UK could form a kind of global alliance and, and lead on things like specifications and standards. So that very much, I think, ties in with what you're, you're saying, Attilio. Helen, did you want to follow up on that? Yes, I'd like to change the course a little bit in cool. terms of attracting the right skills into the industry, which was touched on. Um, there's another type of diversification we should be looking at, and that's getting more women into the industry. Um, and I think we have a huge responsibility to, um, to communicate how telecoms is actually working for the good of society. And it's not just... Um, a lot of geeks who are working away at computers and, and not talking to each other. Um, it, we, we have to improve the image of engineering um, to attract both men and women um, with the right skills and, and capabilities to become engineers. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, look, it, I think I, I've worked for a long time. Uh, my history is trade associations, the GSM Association, where diversity of nation and type of company participating was essential. And diversity in the Telecom Info project is equally essential for success. And what we find is that diversity of perspective, of experience, whether it's from coming from IT or a web scaler or a telco, um, diversity fundamentally at every level creates a better outcome. And I agree with you, Helen, uh, diversity uh, of gender, diversity of experience needs to be recognized as an essential component of getting better outcomes for our industry. But it doesn't stop there. I don't think it's just for the, 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 the tech uh, industry. I think, I think this simple principle of diversity makes us better. And people collaborate from a diverse back, set of backgrounds, a better output is created and progress is accelerated. So, uh, you know, uh, as for the Telecom Info project, we're absolutely committed to looking for ways to diversify the involvement um, across all of our project groups and across all of our activities. Well said, Atilio. Thank you. And thank you, Helen. What does the UK need to be to become a leader in Open RAN? And, and perhaps what can government do next with diversification strategy? I think that's back to what Attilio has been saying, actually. I mean, I think um, uh, it, the, the UK pay, you know, the UK has been playing a leading part in telecoms. If you look at who goes to standards associations, and you know, you 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 turn up there, and and there are loads of British people. They may not be working for British companies, but it's a it's a huge, um, you know, we're, we're very much embedded in it. We've been we've been embedded in it for 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 a long time, and so I think there's there's a there there is a a, a leadership going on there, but it's not something we can become any in any way self sufficient um, on. We've got to be part of the global community. And the, 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 it's become more and more global going from, you know, the days of 2G where, um, you know, everyone had their own 2G standard. Well, you know, the European one won out, um, GSM, um, to become the most popular globally. Then then in 3G, you know, we had three, fewer 3G standards. When we got to uh, 4G, it's basically one global standard. And we have that in 5G. And um, it's going to remain global and um for open ran to be successful it has to be global um so i think uk should be looking at it's it's how we play our part in the global community in fact can just continue to play our part in the global telecommunications uh, industry at, at a time when it's actually becoming more difficult i think you know probably globally our governments are making it more difficult for us to, to cooperate with each other that's a great point. Thank you, Peter. Really, really well said. And, and yeah, I'm 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 going to try not to re repeat what Peter said in, entirely, but but I, I I can't help but agree. Um, I think governments absolutely have a part to play. Um, so when when I talk about um, PPP, 
I put the private public partnerships, um, I put private companies somewhat first. I, I think the, the very existence of the Telecom Info Project is an example that private companies have recognized that there is another way of doing this, right, uh, in a much more collective way. And we see collaboration formed by telcos and vendors alike in other organizations as well as as, as the Telecom Info Project. And this is to be applauded, but it can also be accelerated, right? So when it comes specifically to the UK, I think I gave some examples of stating goals and, and driving outcomes in other nations around the world. Um, I, I, think, I think the UK has an opportunity to state some goals of what it wants to be um, and, and then create some activities either within TIP or outside of TIP um, to drive outcomes in the UK. What this will do is it, it's a wonderful serendipitous situation in that in doing you learn, right? And in learning you build skills and in building skills you create greater innovation. And therefore what, what I'd love to see the UK do and I think that they're on, on a wonderful roadmap towards this is create the right regulatory environment to stimulate activity that is not encumbered with, with uh, challenges um, th that need to be bypassed. So, you know, put oxygen into the innovation air of the UK. Um, invite innovative companies from overseas, from like-minded nations, and you know diverse backgrounds to come and participate in driving innovation because there's a need now and we i don't think the uk or any nation for that matter has the ultimate solution to to deliver the outcomes that every single nation of the world needs so invite companies to to come and participate but at the same time stimulate the involvement of the operators enable that involvement of the operators um, in, in building the future, and then invite the innovators from Bristol, from Leeds, from Winchester, from Scotland, from all over the UK um, to, to, to look at those developments, to participate in those developments, and, and supported by universities as well, um, to, to, to have visibility of progress being made and maybe, Peter, you know, to, to your point, maybe at some stage when you ask a, a daughter or a son, um, what would you like to be when you grow up? A network engineer, right? <laughs> I, want to, I want to build the level of connectivity that's going to give businesses and people the ability to connect in such an extraordinary way anywhere in the world that's never been seen before. And, and I think we have an opportunity and when I say we, you know, I live uh, born in the UK, um, I feel like I'm a global citizen, but I think the UK has an extraordinary opportunity to join other nations and drive this global agenda and this ecosystem renewal. So uh, look, I'm, I'm super excited for the UK. I'm super excited for Germany and what they're doing in the US and other countries around the world. Um, I, I, think, um, I think there's a lot of work to be done and we all need to club together and solve collectively. Fantastic. Thanks, Atilio. Yeah, I like that. It's not about us becoming a leader on our own. It's about us taking a leading position in a global ecosystem. It's fantastic. Helen, did you want to add anything and perhaps maybe look to what, what government does next with the strategy um, and the outcomes of the task force? Yes, I love Atilio's vision um, and I would absolutely love it if my granddaughter said she wanted to be a network engineer. Um, I, I think we've actually made a really good start on a lot of the things that uh, Tilio has mentioned. Um, we must applaud what the 5G test beds around the country have done and the 5G uh, Innovation Centre. And those have already involved global companies, uh, not just UK companies. So I, I think we do need to recognise that we can't as a country do everything that we need to forge partnerships um, within Europe and, and elsewhere in the world and um, build on build on our strengths. Yeah, I think we've got a great vision. We just need to push it into practice. And, and the will is there um, amongst 
the catapults and the um, diversification task force to put that into action. So watch this space. Thanks, Helen, indeed. Um, watch this space as we continue to foster a cohesive ecosystem for the UK telecoms supply chain and networks. I'd like to end there and say a huge thank you to Peter Claydon from Picocom. Thank you, Sophie. And a big thanks to Attilio Zani from TIP. Thanks for having me. And finally, Helen Duncan from MWE Media. Thank you very much, Sophie. Well, that's it for this month's podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. A huge thank you to all of our guests for giving us their time and valuable insights. To learn more about our work in telecoms and across the tech industry as a whole, please visit techuk.org and get in touch. Until next time.